My grandmother, on my dad's side, was Eleanor Ludwigsson. Ludwig's son. She was a stoic Norwegian woman. And uh, as such, she was not the most emotionally warm person. She was a lovely lady. I, I love her, and she was a, a good woman. Um, but just not, emo- just not very affectionate, not very warm and embracing of us as grandkids or uh, in this story to my dad. Uh, my dad at, I think, 18 or 19 uh, was drafted into the Army, 1966 it would have been, drafted into the Army for the Vietnam War and was shipped off to Fort Hood where he did a year of basic training uh, and then went to Vietnam for a year, 1967 to 68, there through the Tet Offensive, which is one of the worst things that goes on in that war in the midst of a terrible war. And my dad saw some terrible things, and although it's comical when you do try to ask him questions about it, there's just things he's just, I think he's just blocked out. He just doesn't remember certain things. He was in Tet Offensive, uh, saw, you know, some kind of mortar or something come into their tent and blow his friends apart in the middle of a card game. Terrible things that he experiences. Villages being burned down, people running for their lives. He comes home from Vietnam. My grandmother picks him up at the airport and doesn't mention it. They just don't talk about it. Don't talk about any of his experience. I find out later that this was because they were scared what he would feel like talking about it. There's this dysfunction there of not being emotionally connected, not knowing how to talk about deep, real things. Now, fast forward years later, my dad becomes a truck driver. He's gone over the road four or five days a week. That My dad's not around. We talk on the phone at night. But needless to say, there's still an issue of talking about deep, emotional things. Now, each generation has gotten progressively better. By the way, I have permission to tell this story. I asked my dad if I could share this. Um, but, but we didn't have these deep, emotionally heartfelt conversations. Now, as my dad has grown in the gospel over the years, and as I have, and you know, tr- you know, go further into this myself and grow in this area, we have started to connect at a much deeper level, which I praise God for. But I share this to, to tell a story that my grandmother was a good, God-fearing, Jesus-loving woman. My dad loves Jesus and is a Jesus follower. I'm a Jesus follower. But this brokenness, this weirdness, this inability to talk about emotionally deep things runs through our family. And it's something that, despite the fact that we are all Jesus followers, we were not whole in that area. Does that make sense? This thing got passed down from our family of origin, and it's something that we are all still undoing and trying to bring the gospel to bear on in our lives. I'm sharing this because what I want to talk about today is that in the family of God, to be whole in the family of Jesus that we have been adopted into, to be whole in the family of God, we actually need to leave some of the broken parts of our family of origin. You tracking with me? To be whole in the family of God, to live out our adoption as sons and daughters of the Father, there are parts, broken parts of our family of origin that we actually need to leave behind. In 1 John Uh, If you were in Bethlehem last week or you heard Pastor Adam preach online, he read from this. I want to read from it again. John says this, See what great love the Father has given us, or some translations say the Father has lavished on us, that we would be called God's children. And we are, he says. Uh, The reason the world does not know us or does not recognize us is that it didn't know him. It didn't recognize 
him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. What John is saying is that Jesus has purchased for us this adoption into the family of God that we've been talking about, or as Pastor Adam talked about last week, Jesus regularly uses the analogy of marriage, that that he is the groom and as the church, as his people, we are the bride, and we are being brought into this new family. And that we actually get to look like God. We take on his name. We take on the inheritance of Jesus that can't be taken away. And, and what John is telling us, what Paul tells us, is that as we follow Jesus, we increasingly look more and more like him. So much so to the point that when we see him face to face, we're transformed fully into his image. And what John is saying here is that we purify ourselves. Because he's pure, we want to look more like him. So we intentionally work on ourselves to become more like Jesus, to look more like him. So much so that the world starts to not recognize us anymore. Because they're like, what the heck is going on in this life? It's totally different than anything we've seen before. But the problem is, a lot of us look more like our family of origin than the family of God, if we're honest with ourselves. All this baggage and this stuff that comes out that looks a lot more like that family we grew up with than the new family we've been adopted into. By the way, kids, this is your chance to say, see, I told you, parents, you were messing me up. I knew it. It's true. I'm messing up my kids too. There's these things that we pass along that we don't even mean to. So look with me at what Jesus, Jesus addresses this, and we're going to talk about this today. Jesus addresses this in Luke 14, this idea of of changing families, changing loyalties. Now, great crowds were traveling with him, meaning Jesus. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Great crowds following Jesus, and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own family, he can't be my disciple. This is one of the most whacked out things that Jesus says, all right? Let's just be honest about that right now, all right? So we're going to get into sort of what this is about and what this means. But first of all, I just want to say this. Jesus loved people. He is the image of the Father who is love. God is unchanging. God loves humanity. Jesus is not actually calling us to hate one another. We see this in Jesus' life all the time, that he's actually very loving. One of the most loving pictures of Jesus I have could think of is, is when he's on the cross and he's dying, he looks at John, the apostle, and says, John, Mary, my mother, is now your mother. And Mary, this is now your son. He's loving them in this environment, saying, please care for my mom after I'm gone, right? He's very loving. Jesus is not actually calling people to hatred, okay? He's calling them. He's making a point about loyalty, about devotion to the family of God. It's not an actual call to hatred, okay? Just to be clear about that. So let's look at this idea that about, about following Jesus uh, being about loyalty and being about devotion. Here's the first thing we encounter in this passage. Following Jesus is a choice, all right? It's a choice. He says, if anyone would come after me and be my disciple, if, like, yes or no, do it or don't. Like, if someone's going to come after me, if they're going to make this choice 
to be my disciple, they're literally choosing to stand behind me, to get behind me and follow me in my ways. He's saying, it's a choice. Are you choosing to do this? Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about adoption, right? So in, in, in an adoption scenario, right, we've lived through one in this church. We, we have friends who have adopted. You know that there's all of this paperwork that needs to be done, and there's this process that you go through, and there's, a, there's one family that is willingly saying, this child can now be in this new family, and you go before the judge, and the judge says, do you want this? And the family says yes, and there's a stamp of approval, and it's done, right? It's finalized. But that child still has a choice to make, right? That child still needs to get to choose into that family. They still have to choose to live out the reality of being in a new family, to cleave to a new family and leave an old family. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, there is a choice that has to happen continually in that child's life as they develop to choose into that family. And what Jesus is warning these great crowds who are following him, who are just hangers on. This wasn't just to the disciples. This was to a couple thousand people who were following in the crowds because of the miracles Jesus has done. He's saying, are you actually following me? Are you just here to see what you can get from me? Are you actually getting behind me and living in the ways of my father? in the new family of God. Jeff Robinson from uh, Gospel Coalition, I read an article from him two weeks ago. He says this, there will be rivals warring for supremacy over the throne of our hearts, but our love for King Jesus must defeat everyone. There's these rivals warring to own our heart, to control our heart, and, and this guy's saying, but Jesus, our love for him must conquer all of them. We must choose into it continually to say, no, 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 I'm putting Jesus on the throne. I wanna be like him. I wanna walk in his ways. So there's inherent warning in this passage where he's saying, you can be near me. You can be near Jesus. You can be in proximity to him to see what he can do for you, to get something from him, but not actually be in his family. Like, that should be a little bit jarring to us. That should concern us a little bit, that we can be near to Jesus, but not actually in the family. And what Jesus is calling them to is this deep loyalty, this devotion, saying that a disciple and a follower of Jesus is someone who is growing increasingly more like him, who is increasingly obeying more and more of his commands because they believe that full life is found therein. They're saying, yes, I want more of that. I will choose more and I will choose more and I will choose more. I want more of the ways of Jesus to be formed like him into his image, but it's a choice. It's a choice to be in the family of Jesus. When he says, here's the adoption, do you actually want to live into it? But I started with talking about family, right? Because here's why. Our families form us. Our tribes form us. They shape us. They change us. They give us an identity. We are loyal by nature to this family and to this tribe. And yet Jesus is saying, but I'm calling you to a different loyalty. I'm calling you to a deeper loyalty. I'm calling you to be so loyal to me that it actually looks like hatred towards your family or your tribe. Whoa, like this is a serious call. Happy Mother's Day, all right? Like this is a big deal that Jesus is talking about here. In Jesus's context, remember this, first century Judaism, family was everything. Their identity, their livelihood, everything came from being in a family. Their reputation, it was all connected to this. Their identity was in their family. And Jesus is saying, I'm actually calling you to hate your family. To love me so much, to love the family of God so much that it looks like hatred towards this thing that everyone else gets their identity from. It's the same today, all right? It is the same today in our culture. 
we still are all formed by our families and have our identity rooted there somehow. Now, some of us have tried to distance ourselves from this over the years, right? But we all have our identity that comes there. And, and by extension, I would argue that we also all get our identity from our tribes now, our political tribes, our social tribes, our financial tribes. We're like, these are my people. My identity is safe in this group, Right? I'm going to poke a little bit from our travel sports tribes. Seriously, our schools, our achievements in school, our identity starts to be rooted there. If you're not sure about this, look at your life. How are you ordering it? Where are you spending your time, your money, your energy, your passions? You'll you'll see where you're getting your identity from. You'll see what's forming you. If you're actually honest to lay these things out and look, like, what am I giving my life to? And trust me, I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to myself, okay? Like, I do the same things. I have to process all of this. Where am I getting my identity from? But by and large, our families of origin formed us, discipled us, gave us our identity, and still do. They still have deep tentacles into the hearts of us where we get our identity from. And maybe not for the best. Last week, we talked about how sin has deep roots in our lives. And let me tell you something, our family trees have some messed up roots that still bears fruit in our lives today if we slow down and actually contemplate and think about why we do the things that we do. Our families taught us where to find significance, where to get importance in our lives, what makes us special, where to get approval, told us this is what it means to be a loved person and here's how you get it. This is what it means to be safe. This is what it means to have a good plan for life. All of that we got from our families of origin or we still get from our tribes, political, sports, social, financial, whatever they are. The Bible tells us that, that our families of origin pay dividends to the third and fourth generation, that the sins of the father pay consequences further out down the line. That's why I shared my own story to say, yep, yeah, it's true. In the Bible, we see that David is a philanderer and a womanizer. And guess what his son does? Solomon, he's a womanizer. Abraham is a liar. Abraham goes to Egypt and twice, because he's fearful for his life and doesn't want to lose it, says, "Ah, Sarah, no, she's not my hot wife. She's my sister. And allows her to be taken into Pharaoh's house because he's worried that he's going to be killed. And then he has a son, Isaac, who does the same thing with his wife, Rebecca. He's a liar. And then you have Jacob, who comes from Isaac. What does Jacob's name mean in Hebrew? Deceiver. He lies to everybody. Who then has kids who go on and all group together to lie about getting rid of their son Joseph in a pit. Liar, 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 liar. Just extends right down through. And if we're honest, we see the same thing in our lives. That stuff from our parentals and from the grandparents and from the great parents just starts to weasel its way down through the family tree. How has your family formed you? How has it told you where significance is, where assurance is, approval is, where security is? And Jesus is calling calling us in this passage to say, change your loyalties. Stop getting your identity from there. Get it from the family of God. Come behind me and follow me. But here's the thing, friends, it comes with a cost. There is a cost. Luke 14 is all about counting the cost. Jesus is warning these great crowds and these hangers-on to say, there's a cost to this. 
If you really want this, if you're going to choose into this adoption, into the family of God, it's going to come with a price. Jesus wants to make you whole. Jesus wants to make me whole. But we cannot be healed unless we have wholly turned ourselves over to him. We can't hide things from him. I mean, we can, but it's to our own demise. To be wholly healed, we need to wholly give ourselves over to Jesus and allow him into every sphere of our lives. Have you given Jesus access to your whole life? Are you allowing him to get in there to that deep stuff from your family of origin, from that tribe that's forming you? to give you a new identity? Have you considered that that whole life in the family of God, being made whole in the family of God, is worthy of leaving behind the broken parts of your family of origin? Is Jesus worth it? Is being in the family of God actually worth it? Or have you, think about this, have you considered the cost of hanging on to the baggage from your family of origin? Wrestle with that. Have you considered the cost of saying, yeah, I'm not even going to think about this. I'm just going to keep doing the things that I've always done. I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to those things that I've always, I've always hold on to. You know, we, if, like you do a birthday party, you go to a birthday party with a little toddler and they get a present and all they know now is that present right in front of them. They're just holding on to it for dear life and you're like, yeah, but there's this other one. And they're like, yeah, but it's like... I, You have to convince them to put this one down to then have this new gift, right? It's the same thing with Jesus. We're holding on to these things and he's saying, lay it down. Lay it down. Take up this new thing. I'm offering you something better. Put that one down and take this one. Because the cost, we talked about the marriage analogy last week, the cost to to cleave to Jesus means leaving our family of origin, means leaving that tribe that we have been loyal to. To love Jesus looks like hatred of these other things, saying, I'm going to get my identity from this and not from this. So here's part of the cost. Exposing these things, wrestling with these things, bringing them into the light, these things that we've inherited from our tribes, from our families of origin, comes at a cost being more loyal to Jesus than to our family of origin. It could mean putting up boundaries with family. It's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. No is a complete sentence. Like sometimes people need to hear that. No is a complete sentence. You're allowed to tell your family at times, no. I've had to do that. It's weird. It's difficult. But there's times when you're like, yeah, I can't, we can't keep doing this same thing. It's not working. I'm going to choose family identity in God, not in this family anymore. That's a weird thing to have to do. It comes at a cost because it's painful to admit these things. It's painful to, to bring these things to the surface and to admit, yeah, I'm not perfect. Yes, I am messed up because of these things in my background. Yeah, here's the baggage. Here's the skeletons. I'm bringing them out of the closet. That's painful. To do that, there's a cost to doing that. It costs us our comfort, our familiar, our, the familiarness of like living in that, right? Saying, this is the way I've always done it. I don't want to mess with it. It's familiar to me. I don't want to give it up. It gets rid of our hiding places. It makes us vulnerable and exposes our weaknesses and our brokenness, saying, I, I want fullness in Jesus, not in this way anymore. 
exposing things that in our families of origin can be embarrassing to them, can cause massive problems in families when you're like, yeah, we need to bring this to the light. Isolating towards you, even ostracizing toward you, or suddenly you're out. We don't talk about that stuff. You don't bring that to the surface. You're out of the family now. Don't raise hands, but no, some of you know this. So can I encourage you to count the cost? That's what Jesus is calling for in Luke 14. What does it mean to lean fully into the family of God rather than into our family of origin and leaving that stuff buried? What does it mean to bring it to the surface? What's the cost going to be? And is it worth it? I would argue it is, but that's each of your choices. Am I going to follow Jesus so much so that I'm willing to give up these other things? But can I tell you that you have the family of God waiting to receive you. God himself waiting to receive you and saying, I can give you all of that. I replace all of that now and in the fullness of eternity. And here's the gospel today, friends. Jesus is a better Abraham. He's the new Abraham who's willing to die for his wife rather than just say, no, 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 she's my sister. I don't want to. He comes and he says, no, 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 I love her so much. I will give up my life for her. Take my life, not hers. And Jesus passes down this godliness to us, the, the children of the father. Instead of passing down lies and secrecy and hiding, he passes down truth and love into the family of God wholeness, joy, peace that passes understanding. Jesus, the good Abraham, dies on our behalf so that we can be given a new mind, a new heart, a new identity in the family of God. And he redefines for us where significance comes from. Because we are always significant in Jesus, seated at the right hand of the throne. He tells us where security comes from and says, I've given you this thing and it can never be taken away and you can be never, never be plucked out of the hand of the Father, constantly secure. And he says, this is what approval looks like. I love you no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. You're not going to find any of that anywhere else in our family of origin, in our tribes, the politics, the sports, the money, the stuff, whatever. We only find it in the family of God. Friends, this is the gospel for us today. So here's the thing. Following Jesus, though, it's a choice. It comes at a cost, but it takes commitment. All right, let's just be honest about this. It actually takes a level of commitment to say, I want that. I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to choose into this continually. I'm going to gospel myself. I want to commit to a whole life in Jesus. Please hear me on this. A whole life in Jesus. No longer compartmentalize saying Jesus can have these parts of my life, but not this part. I'm giving him every slice of the pie. I want him to move into all of that to make me new. No more hiding. Jesus was fully human to make us fully human in every area of our life, every sphere the, the, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional spheres of our life, the sexual spheres of our life, the social side of things, the intellectual side of things. Jesus says, I want that and that and that and that because I want to make it fully human. I want to make it into my image. I want it to be whole. I want it to be good. I want you to experience the fullness of life in every area. So following Jesus takes a commitment to say, no more compartmentalization. I want him to have all of it. I'm allowing him into every area because I want to be whole in every area in my life. The Jesus way is a whole life plan. Every area, it applies to everything in 
our lives. And committing to following Jesus and following in his way means like unpacking the baggage of our family of origin. We have to go back to go forward. I mean, this is basic psychology, and it's right. (laughs) In Jesus, it's even fuller. We have to go back to go forward. There's a great book, highly recommend it for those of you that are book people, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Here it is, fully endorse it. Uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, just great. He just uncovers a lot of this stuff. But he says this, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether as a child, teenager, or adult, we are, in the dramatic language of the Bible, born again. The Apostle Paul describes it this way, the old is gone, the new is here. These two verses and their meanings, however, are sometimes misunderstood. Yes, it is true that when we come to Christ, our sins are wiped away and we are given a new name, a new identity, a new future, a new life. It is truly a miracle. We are declared righteous before God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The eternal holy God of the universe is no longer our judge, but our father. This is the adoption that we have talked about for a couple weeks now. That is the great news of the gospel. But we need to understand this does not mean that our past won't continue to influence us in different ways. For years, I was under the delusion that because I accepted Jesus, my old life was no longer in me. My past before Christ was painful. I wanted to forget it. I never wanted to look back. Life was so much better now that Jesus was with me. I thought I was free. I would say I thought I was whole. Jerry, which is his wife's name, Jerry, after nine years of marriage, knew better. I will never forget the first time we made a genogram. Everybody heard of a genogram before? Some of you, if you've studied counseling or psychology at all. I'll never forget the first time we made a, di- a genogram, a diagram outlining some of the patterns of our family. Our counselor at the time, all right, he's a pastor, he's in counseling. Counseling's good. All right, that's my endorsement. Okay. Our counselor at the time took about an hour to ask probing questions about the interactions between members of both of our families, to write two or three adjectives to describe our parents and their relationships. When the counselor finished, he simply asked us, do you see any similarities between your marriage and your parents? We both sat there dumbfounded. We were evangelical Christians. We were committed and stable. Our priorities and life choices were very different from that of our parents. Yet, underneath the surface, our marriage bore a striking resemblance to that of our parents. Gender roles, the handling of anger and conflict and shame, how we defined success, our view of family, children, Recreation, pleasure, sexuality, grieving, and our relationship with friends had all been shaped by our families of origin and our cultures. Sitting in that counselor's office that day, embarrassed by the state of our marriage, we learned a lesson we would never forget. Even though we had been committed Christians for almost 20 years, our ways of relating mirrored much more our family of origin than the way God intended for his new family in Christ. The work of growing in Christ, what theologians call sanctification, does not mean we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. It actually demands we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. Teresa of Avila, early Christian, uh, you know, spiritual mother, mystic. She's, she's got some great writings. She says, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem, stem from a lack of self-knowledge. You hear this? All, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. 
of not being willing to go back to figure out where did this come from? What's going on here? Instead of just thinking like, well, Jesus is just going to fix it because I'm a Christian now. It's like we got to dive in there and go back. So are, we, are you aware of how your family of origin plays a part in your whole self? How your current tribe plays a part in your whole self? If you find yourself still struggling with certain sins, with, with not having peace or joy in your relationships and inability to love certain kinds of people or forgive others or, or have freedom in all the spheres of your life, you have to ask, is this rooted somewhere deep in my family of origin? Am I getting my identity from someplace other than the family of God? So here's, here's some examples. He has a, a Ten Commandments. What does he call them? Uh, Consider the, the, well, the Ten Commandments of your family, all right? Ten Commandments of my family. I'm going to give some hypotheticals here. Number two, conflict in your family, all right? Some of us were taught, avoid conflict at all costs. I'd ask you to raise hands, but you probably wouldn't. Exactly. All right, thank you, thank you. Avoid conflict at all costs. Don't get people mad at you. Or... Loud, angry, constant fighting is normal. We're all taught these, some version of this. Sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. Or I know he talks in here about this one. Men can be promiscuous. Women must be chaste. I just, we talked about, we, whatever. Pornography. Men can just look at tons of porn and it's fine, but women shouldn't. Or maybe they should now. I don't know. That's in there now too. Or sexuality and marriage will happen easily. Not true, but some of us were taught that. Number five, expressing anger. This is a good one. Anger is dangerous and bad. Or explode in anger to make a point. I'll testify to that one. Or sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. That's an American thing right there. We're just going to be sarcastic. That's a good way for me to get my anger. I'm not actually going to say it, but I'm just going to make a joke about it. What about religion? Behave morally, be right. Legalism, that's the way to be with God. Or following God means you're weak, you're dumb. Who would do that? Someone's been taught that. All these different things filter into our lives from our families of origin and from our tribes, and they shape us, and we find our identities, our significance, security, approval, our love there. We have to go back to go forward. It's not unchristlike to do that. It's not unfaithful to say, I need to dive back into this to find out where all this is coming from in my life. So, commitment. We need to make a commitment to gospeling our way of life to become more in line with the Jesus way of life. This Jesus way is a loyalty and a love for Jesus above all else. Saying, I want that. I believe what he has done for me, and I want more of that. I want to give him access to every area of my life. But when we do that, it enters us into this grand construction project. It's an ongoing project in our lives, constantly requiring gospeling ourselves and leaning into the family of God, which is like church community, and into the presence of God in our spiritual disciplines, saying, I'm going to gospel myself. I'm going to move more into that. 
but it also requires deconstructing. Like popular word now. It requires deconstructing things from our family of origin, from our tribes that we just are willingly part of without even questioning anything. It requires deconstructing these things. So loving God and sort of hating family is the word that Jesus uses, saying I'm willing to go back and, and deconstruct some of these things. This construction project language we're stealing from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. I want to read a quote from his to wrap up here. He says this, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently... He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. It does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace he intends to come and live in it himself. Do you believe this? That God wants to dwell in you, in every area, not just to make some little cottage where it's like compartmentalized and like, we just want to deal with this little thing over here. He's like, I want all of it, but for your good. Give me access to it, he's saying. Allow me to deconstruct some of these other things and tear some of this garbage down, this crap that you got from your family of origin, the tribe, the culture, whatever. Allow me to tear that down. Willingly work with me to tear that down so we can build up this new thing because I want to live there as well. I want to be in that area of your life as well. Jesus as Savior, man, that is like great grace and it feels wonderful. Jesus as Lord is great grace and it is complicated. It is great grace. It's like some, some, like some tough digging sometimes to get in there, but it's all grace. It's all making us into the image of Jesus. Friends, to be whole in the family of God, we need to be willing to give up broken parts of our family of origin. We are just scratching the surface here today, intentionally. There is so much more to dig into on this. We'll talk a little bit about it in the coming weeks, but can I encourage you to process this? When you're in a fight later this week, I'm not gonna make eye contact, when you're in a fight with a significant other later this week, be like, is this something my parents did? Did this come from them? When you find yourself stressing about money, stuff, running around like a crazy person to like, like make all your kids' dreams come true, it's like, where's this coming from? Is this the right thing? Is this connected to something else? Am I getting my identity from a weird place other than the family of God? Process this this week. And then... Talk it out loud. Expose it. Bring it up. Say, I don't want this anymore. Help me, please. Share it in community. Talk to the Lord about it. Talk to your friends about it. Whatever it is, start getting it out. Because friends, we need to leave our family of origin and some of that brokenness and the brokenness of our tribe so that we can cleave to Jesus and experience full life in him. We have to go back to go forward. Let's pray.